Have you ever been called a band geek, a theater nerd, cyber dork, studio rat, gamer punk, orchestra dork, book monkey, drama jock, poindexter, artsy fartsy, or just plain weird? Well then, welcome to Art Nerds. This is the podcast where we sit down with our nerdy friends, embrace our inner geek, and celebrate our art. And welcome back, everybody. This is Art Nerds. This is the podcast where we talk to our nerdy friends about their art. Today, I have with me, uh, via the internet, a new friend. This is Riley Ann. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Thank you, thank you, thank you for putting up with our technical glitches and hanging around to talk with me this morning. Uh, I met Riley through another friend who you've heard on the podcast, uh, Carmen Lasheski. And uh, our paths have crossed in an odd way, which we'll get to later, I'm sure. Anyway, Riley Ann, what is your art? Well, uh, most people know me as a musician. Back in the Midwest, I had an all-female folk band called The Matriarchs. And since then, I've moved out to Colorado, and currently I have a blues rock band called The Cat Calls, and I also just started up a new all-female folk band called Back to the Mountain, but I do lots of art. I, I also have been uh, published as a writer, both creative writing and journalism, really? and I also enjoy painting, as you can see from my paintings behind me, <laughs> so... <laughs> I really like to do all kinds of creative things. And uh, we were just talking before the show about a little bit of theater I was in in college, but I've kind of dabbled in theater since I was a kid. So uh, kind of everything and anything at this point. Uh, what would you consider your primary art then? I would say music for sure. Okay. You seem to be gravitated toward the performing arts. I mean, do you enjoy performing? Oh, I love performing. I think there's, it's such a great way to connect with people and to really, you know, be yourself and, you know, express so many different types of things when you're up on a stage. Um, but, you know, I also really enjoy being a writer and other types of things. That so. isn't, yeah. So uh, suddenly I'm, I'm thinking that some of these arts are very public and very collaborative some of these arts, at least the way you just talk about them, are very private and uh, introverted, so not social kind of things. Um, yeah, for sure. Like when I'm doing a painting, uh, when I really kind of get in that flow state or in the zone, it's like the world around me closes. And that's a really cool feeling. It's also a little scary because all of a sudden it's like you wake up from this like dream and you're like, how many hours have passed? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> what day so, is it? <laughs> yeah, so that's super fun. Um, but it's actually really cool. Uh, during COVID, one of my friends made this challenge called Make More Everything. And it was like this artistic game of telephone where you submitted a prompt and the first person in in line of all these different teams wrote a story about the prompt. And then just the story, regardless of who wrote it, was just anonymously given to uh, uh, a musician. That's the order it was. And then they wrote a song about it or some kind of composition. And then just the composition, the recording of that was given to a visual artist. Um, and what was cool about that is, you know, I said, yeah, I'm a musician, but I'll do any of the three. And to fill in some gaps and to help out, I ended, I ended up doing all three different stages of different teams Oh, interesting. And, yeah, so I wrote a story for one of the groups. I think I wrote two songs because one of the musicians backed out, and then I did one painting. But they were all on four different teams. And so it was really cool to have a hand in a lot of different things. Um, and so even though the act of painting is very solitary for me, that was a really cool way, and even writing for that matter, um, aside from workshopping with friends. But um that was a really cool experience for me to sort of integrate a very individualized artistic practice in this concept of a team of, you know, sort of passing the baton of this thematic idea as it evolves. So, so each project, each team was, is it a different theme or was it, or did you just rely solely on what was handed to you and just gut reaction went with it? Uh, yes, both. <laughs> so it started with the seed of a theme that the short story writer, uh, or creative writer, some people did poems, some people did short stories, I think, 
however they interpreted that theme. And then whoever is next in line just got the piece that was created in front of them. So the musician just got the story. They don't know what the original theme was. So that's how it's like an artistic game of telephone is you don't necessarily know what the original theme was, but you try to convey it in your own interpretation, whether it's, you know, if you're a visual artist, some people did uh, photography, some people did, um, you know, paintings, whatever is super open. So that was really cool. That sounds, uh, you're going to have to maybe send me that as a challenge, you know, maybe if there's any guidelines written down, I'd love to read them. Yeah, so it it just sounds like a challenge I would love to take on. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't know if it's happening this year. I haven't heard because last year, uh, so Maxwell Treader in Fort Collins, he put it all together, and uh, everything from that particular challenge is still published online. So you can go and read uh, the story and see the the artwork, and also listen to the song that was created for that. Okay. Um, so that's all online. And at that time I had virtually no recording equipment and I didn't even have an external microphone. So I literally recorded all of my music stuff using my earbuds with a built-in microphone because the built-in microphone in, in my laptop was clipping. So I got a better sound from <laughs> my wired earbuds. Um, so that was, that was a, a resourceful challenge for me, but yeah, that was super fun. And then last summer he kind of reformatted it where instead of having it be a musical game of telephone, he put the visual artist, the musician and uh, sort of film directors and uh, people involved in like uh, creating films um, with editing and everything on a team together. And they collaboratively made a film based on a theme so I was part of that last year, and I got to do the musical composition for a short film last summer. That's exciting. I, I, that, that whole process sounds like just a great time. Yeah, it was, it was super cool because, you know, you start – both of them were great because they started so open-ended and just trying to figure out what how are you going to interpret that work, whether it was something being handed to you the first year or – last year of how you're going to build something together. So I was writing the score for a film that didn't exist yet. (laughs) And I just said, okay, just send me reference tracks and kind of what you're thinking. And I just kind of created music based around that. And that was super fun too. Do you enjoy that process of just being inspired like that or? Totally. I think when you're given really strange parameters like that, and you have a very quickly approaching deadline, it really forces your brain to create things very quickly as opposed to sitting around and waiting for the muse to strike you, you know? So I, I really hope that he continues to do challenges like that um, because it's been so good for me to motivate this fire and be like, okay, how can I do this? What am I going to create for this, for a film that doesn't exist? Or how am I going to interpret this? Um, cause for the, the first challenge, you just had a week to work with whatever was handed to you from the previous round. And wow. so you just really had to work like, uh, under this really strict, pretty quick guidelines or deadline. Um, and it just, it makes you more prolific when there's kind of heat under your deadline. Interesting. No, cause I, I once in a while, the more boundaries I have, I used to, um, I'm a prof- yeah, uh, I come from theater, so I'm an actor, director, uh, former puppeteer. So uh, my the boundaries are always there. It feels like, and when I say I want I want to do something creative, and I have no boundaries and I have no guidelines, uh, it, I can't do anything. You know, there's too much to think about. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you feel the same way, but uh, I appreciate having those strong boundaries. That's I get a lot of work that way done, done that totally. way as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, and I think it, it's interesting with theater because you always know when opening night is, but until a couple weeks before the show and also, you know, tech week is when suddenly things really come together. And there's always that moment where you're like, oh my God, is this going to blow up in my face? And uh, <laughs> I think it was, uh, 
I think it might've been in like Shakespeare in love, that film where they're like, Oh, everything comes together. And they're like, what if it doesn't? It's like, no, it always does. Like (laughs) you could just trust that, you know, in the theater God. So it's just, you know, with the deadline coming up, it just, things just fall into place really fast. Yeah. I love that movie because when they say things will come together, somebody always says how, and then Jeffrey Rush says, I don't know. It's a mystery. That's yeah, that's right. (laughs) But it's, it's sort of like that with, I feel like with art, you know, I think, people have these romanticized ideas of, oh, I'm just going to go sit in a cabin and be inspired. It's like kind of what I think you need is someone being like, I need this right now. You need to create something right now. And suddenly it's just like you get in that mindset. Um, there was this great TED talk that talked about creativity of, um, you know, quantity over quality. Cause if you're just striving for quality, your brain is constantly going to be in that editor mindset. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're trying to think of, just more ideas, regardless if they're good, bad, or ugly, you're going to come up with even better ideas. And that's when I, when I used to teach private music lessons, um, and songwriting with people, that's what I tell them. I tell them, Hey, quantity over quality, just keep writing stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I had never thought about that, but that, and that makes sense. Cause if I'm stuck, I'll come down to the shop and just build stuff, just experiment with stuff. Not that I'm doing anything, not that I have a goal in mind, but if my hands are busy, my brain is busy, sooner or later, something falls out that's worthwhile. Totally. And yeah. for me, when I'm writing a song um, and there's like, I've had this before where there's that one line that you're like, oh, that's not really what I want. I don't know what I want there. Something that I'll do and that I'll teach my students to do is, okay, I want you to fill up an entire page with potential lines that could fill in that spot. Just come up with as many as you can, as quickly as you can. Come up with 20, 30, 40 lines. And in doing that, by freeing your mind up of just being like, okay, I need to come up with a bunch of ideas, you're going to find something that's like definitely better than what you had before. And it might be that one that's like, yes, that's the gold nugget I was missing. But at the very least, it's better. Yeah. Well, I think it's just, I I like your approach toward uh, the, the problem in that you just need the prompt. You just need, nothing motivates like a deadline. (laughs) that's true even that deadline's a minute away (laughs) yeah for sure uh do you how did you get started in music and teaching music and you know even in your painting well music has been interesting um you know like many children i was forced to take piano lessons as a kid and i hated it (laughs) so much and apparently it's hilarious um my mom i remember her telling me that for a while i had to take a break from piano lessons because all i wanted to do was just talk to my teacher and not have a lesson and just have this conversation with her (laughs) and (laughs) i she i remember her kind of scolding me as a kid like you can't she's here to teach you piano you can't just talk to her i'm like what are you talking i had no idea but looking back you know, I'm like, I could totally see that. Yeah. Um, my you know, wife, I, yeah. My wife teaches piano to young <laughs> kids. So yeah, I hear these stories too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't like I was trying to sabotage the lesson. I just apparently really enjoyed my teacher and having a conversation with her. <laughs> um, you know, and like a lot of kids, I started playing in band. I, I took up saxophone in fifth grade and really got into band in high school. I had some amazing high school band teachers. And uh, when I was a junior, my friends, we listened to a lot of like punk and ska. And we started a ska band. So they asked me to play saxophone. So that was fun. I played some like basement shows and garages and stuff like that, just kind of for fun. And then in college, you know, I kept playing saxophone and also violin um, I took up violin in like middle school and I just played in the ensembles. Um, but I remember, do you remember Anna Troughton from UW Platteville? Vaguely. Yes. I, uh, the name is very familiar. It'll come to me. Yeah. Well, she's amazing. And I remember being in the music lounge and her having her violin and just playing something that I had like never heard before. And I was, it was like my jaw dropped to the ground. I'm just like, 
whatever you're doing, I want you to teach me how to do that. And she was so humble. She's like, Oh no, no, it's, it's nothing. And I was like, no, I want to know how to do that. What are you doing? And she's like, Oh, it's like a fiddle tune. It's, it's nothing. It's nothing. And just kept pushing it off. And I so desperately wanted to learn that. Um, and I didn't know what that was. I didn't have a vocabulary for it. I didn't have a framework in my ears for it. And fast forward to when I was teaching high school English and I was living in Galena, the Blackberry Bushes string band came through town. Um, and at that point I was hosting, um, a Scrabble night and the, during Scrabble night, um, the guy who owned the coffee shop, who became one of my really, really incredible mentors would play the Blackberry Bushes CDs. Um, and I had, again, no context for it, but it was a bluegrass band. And he told me, he's like, oh, the Blackberry Bushes are, are playing across the street at the Cornerstone on Thursday or whatever. And so I was like, oh my God, I'm going to go. And again, I, I saw Jacob Breitbach playing fiddle in this band. And I was just blown away. I'm like, I, I couldn't even understand what was happening because I'd always played classical violin. And so I got into old time, the Fever River String Band based around Benton, Wisconsin, took me under their wearing and taught me a bunch of old time fiddle tunes, let me sit in with them and they would have jams and stuff. And, um, that's kind of how music took off. Um, and it was funny when, uh, they would, they would play out at council Hill station and, uh, I was sitting in with them one day, Jamie Jones, the owner of council Hill came up to me. He's like, Hey, I'm putting on this music festival. I want you to play. And I was like, I don't have a band. He's like, you don't need a band. You can just play. And I was like, no, I'll just start a band. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's how I started the matriarchs. Um, and I had a, the name idea for the matriarchs. I came up with that when I was in Kat Tigerman's, one of her literature classes, women in mythology, when I was at UW Platteville. Oh, yeah. Cause I was like the matriarchs. I'm like, that's a really good like band name. That's a really good name. I'm going to use that for something. And so that's kind of how the matriarchs were born. Um, and things kind of blew up and, and for me, you know, I got to the point where I was gigging two or three, sometimes four times a weekend, and then teaching high school English five days a week, and then playing two, three, four more shows a weekend. And I just never had downtime. So I was like, yeah, I just want to do music full time. And that's what prompted me to move out to Colorado and take the big leap. Wow. How long, um, how long had you been teaching, had you been teaching English? I taught English for six years. I taught one year at Dubuque Senior High School, and I got laid off with the budget cuts. Mm -hmm. And then I taught five years at Scales Mound, which is right outside Galena. Okay. And then, you know, I, I took the leap. I moved to Colorado, and I've, I've been in all kinds of projects since then. I did like a one-woman band with live looping, and, uh, you know, I've played in different like folk and country bands as, you know, kind of a hired gun. and. Um, you know, I started up the cat calls and most recently back to the mountains. So those are my two projects that I'm really in right now. That's, that's amazing. First of all, um, I applaud anybody who has the courage to jump away from the societal norm and go into art full time. And, uh, a big kudos to you for making it work. Number one, um, you, first of all, I, uh, when we set this interview up, you sent me your your website links, and I looked through most of the, your videos and your music, and you, the way you talk now, you don't have a style, do you? Or do you? I mean, you've you've mentioned ska, you've mentioned uh, bluegrass, and your videos are there's hints of old '60s and '70s hardcore rock. There's hints of 80s indie, <laughs> you know, there's hints, you know, there's, the, you know, the 1970s singer songwriter troubadour kind of stuff. Uh, what are your influences? What and do you have a style or that you that? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I have a style, um, but I feel one thing I feel like artists get pigeonholed into this is the only style you do. And for me, it's like, yeah, I, I have a style, but I have multiple styles, you know? And it's sort of like, if you think about how you act as a person, you're going to act a little bit differently as, you know, someone when you're just with your best friend versus 
you know, when you're out with a bunch of your friends, you know, right. at a bar or something versus who you are at work. And it's like, yeah, you're still you, but there's different sort of sides to your personality that different mm-hmm. things come out in different ways. And I feel like for me, one of the really amazing things about music is, and instruments is that they can pull out these different sides of you as a person. And, you know, I love, I love what I do with the cat calls and just totally rocking out and just letting everything go. But I also love doing like the sweet harmonies of a folk band. I also like doing kind of the more pensive, um, sort of darker singer songwriter things that you were alluding to. And yeah, so I feel like I do have a style, but I don't feel like, I don't feel a need to pigeonhole myself into just one style. Yeah. And I, I wasn't, um, I wasn't alluding that you should or, (laughs) um, but there's so, so what are your influences? Who are your muses and your heroes? Cause there's, there's, there's a lot there. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of little streams flowing into this river. Yeah. I mean, I feel like everybody, everybody has such a diverse uh, set of music and artists that they've been exposed to over time. And I feel like, I feel like no matter what or who you're watching, you can learn something from that. And for me, I remember, um, I remember being a kid and, you know, my parents listened to like top 40 music and then they got into like top 40 country when I, when I was in elementary school and stuff like that. But my parents also had this tape of meatloaf and I remember <laughs> loving, loving and rocking out so hard to love by the dashboard light. Of oh all yeah. The, the bad out of hell album. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's, Who and, doesn't have that in their collection somewhere? And I just remember being like, I don't know what this is, but it's so cool. And, mm-hmm. you know, my parents also had like an eight track of like ABBA and just my brother and I like <laughs> dancing to like dancing queen and stuff like that. And, you know, despite some of those kind of like, um, at that time they were anomalies for me because most of what we listened to was again, current top 40 stuff. Um, you know, when I was in, in high school, my friends exposed me to a lot of new music. And that was in the era of, you know, Napster and um, LimeWire and Kazaa, oh, all that yeah. stuff. So, yeah, it totally wasn't legal. We had no idea. But my friends made me all kinds of mix CDs of artists I never would have come across. Yeah, Because um, when I was growing up, um, we didn't really have internet at my house. We also we only had the family five, you know, so I I didn't get the exposure to like MTV or, you know, stuff that a lot of kids had exposure to. And so I really credit my, my buddies in high school making me all these, all these great mix CDs and getting exposed to, you know, bands like alkaline trio. Where would I have been (laughs) exposed to that when my parents are listening to Alan Jackson, you know? Um, and then even more so in college, um, you know, it's kind of embarrassing. Like I didn't, with just my lack of exposure, I didn't even know who Led Zeppelin was until I was in college, um, which is embarrassing, you know, but I, I remember just being embarrassing, like, you know, it, I mean, you don't really have a lot of control over it, but like, yeah, I mean, I knew who they were, but I, to this day, I still haven't listened to a full song oh. of Led Zeppelin. So <laughs> you're not in bad company. Yeah. yeah. But I, I just remember, um, you know, constantly being exposed to new music thanks to my friends because at, especially at that time, you know, the internet was still, it's not what it is today. You Correct. know, we, I remember when YouTube first came out when I was in college and one of my friends was in the library. Um, he's actually in some, some bands back in the Midwest too. Um, I remember him showing me, he's like, look at this website. Anyone can post videos. And I'm just like, oh, okay. That's kind of weird thinking it was like going to be another phase of a website. And that was YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. Um, so yeah, I feel like I've just been constantly exposed thanks to a lot of my friends to a lot of music and with how the internet has expanded, I've been able to really get into different artists and, you know, find out who, you know, Courtney Barnett is and Nico mm-hmm. Case and Sarah Tones. And, um, I remember, you know, discovering honey, honey. And it's one thing that's really cool about the internet now is you can find all these different artists that, 
nobody else that you know has heard of them. Mm-hmm. But tomorrow they could be huge. You just right. never know. Right. And I think that's I think that's one of the beauties of the digital age is that we can hear so much and be exposed to so much. And like you said, there's such a treasure trove out there. And yeah, my daughter is my I have my youngest daughter in her mid twenties. Uh she, she you know, she has the Spotify account. And it's just, you know, her, her playlist is huge, but it's, you know, but she collects some of the weirdest stuff and it's just, it's insanely fun though. But, you know, but it's fun because she's discovering the stuff I listened to as a kid. Now, when I was a kid, it was, you know, that's uh, 70s through mid eighties, <laughs> the stuff I listened to, but she's listening to stuff like Lou Rawls thinking it's one of the greatest things she's ever heard. It's new to her. And I think that's one of the fun things about, about like what you're saying, the internet, there's so much to allow yourself to be influenced by. Totally. You know, and you know, for me, it's like, I constantly get inspired by people I see, you know, whether they're big names or not, whether I see them live or I find some video of them online um, or, you know, sometimes local artists, like, One of my favorite local artists here in Colorado is a band called Pink Fuzz. And I have been following them. Um, I first caught them at a show in, uh, I think it was 2015. And, you know, they're starting to really blow up. And I saw them at, you know, a local theater show during one of our local festivals called Foco MX um, a few weeks ago. And I was just, I hadn't seen them in a few years with COVID and everything. I was just blown away by what they were doing. And they're kind of like a psych rock band, you know, and that's a little bit different than what I do, obviously. But, um, I just think that they're absolutely incredible. They're one of my all time favorite bands. Um, and they just live down the road from me in Denver, Colorado. So interesting. uh, Yeah. So it's, it's impossible to be like, this is my roster of influences, but you know, I, there was a time when I lived in Galena when I first started getting into like old time and uh, mainly old time, but some bluegrass too, where there was a period of a year where I almost exclusively listened to old time music, which is a pretty niche <laughs> genre. What and do you mean it was by old time. So old time is sort of the country music that precedes bluegrass. So okay. it's, it's like what people would play at like a, like a legit barn dance and people do okay, square okay. dancing too with the advent of the, uh, the radio, people were like, okay, we need to make these songs shorter because the whole nature of a barn dance is you might play the same short, you know, A, B part song um, for 10 minutes. And it's just the same two parts repeated over and over and over again. Like, okay, we need to make this be shorter. <laughs> so they're more radio friendly and we need to mix them up. And this is at the time of like influence of urbanization and, you know, uh, soloing and stuff in bluegrass. And so that's what, how, you know, bluegrass got on the radio uh, I mean, some Carter family songs got on the radio too, but, um, yeah, but so old time is like a very specific, like string band oriented genre. Okay. Yeah. That, that was a new term to me in terms of music. Yeah. It's like I said, it's, it's kind of niche. Um, Excuse me. but there was a period of time where for about a year I listened to almost nothing but pure old time. And m- the vast majority were like all female bands, like, a band like uncle Earl was a huge influence on me for old time. Um, the flat mountain girls, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of people, the, the blackberry bushes aren't all female or weren't all female at the time, but you know, still a very, uh, dominant presence of women and female harmonies. So yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's anything and everything is really good. And then you kind of, you kind of grasp onto certain things and you kind of go in phases too. I was gonna, that, that's, that was my next question. It sounds like at that point, you found something you really like. So your diet was old time. <laughs> and clearly that fluctuates. What yeah. are you into now? Is there anything? Or are you just... I mean, I'll, I'll still put on some old time rock out. Uh, it's, it's still good. Doesn't, doesn't get old. <laughs> um, but, you know, as of right now, like the artists that I'm listening to quite a bit right now um, include, I really love Ty Seagal. I think he's really incredible. Um, I love what the Black Keys 
did and mm-hmm. are still doing. They're still making some great music. Um, I still love Courtney Barnett and Sarah Tones, like I mentioned before. Um, yeah, there's a lot of sort of indie kind of progressive rock that I, I'm really gravitating towards right now, but I still love, you know, Nina Simone. I still love Samantha fish. Um, Andrew bird is kind of a classic favorite. Um, I love the songwriting. I don't like the person necessarily <laughs> of Ryan Fair, Adams. Yeah. I don't, I don't think he's like the nicest person in the world necessarily. I think he's calmed down a bit as of late, but he writes some really <laughs> incredible songs. <laughs> yep. So yeah. So I, I just, I like to listen to a lot of things. So it's just whatever strikes you at the moment. Yeah, for sure. Are you headed somewhere with this? I mean, in terms of, do you just want to absorb as much music and create as much music as possible? Do you have a specific goal to be a superstar in mind? Do you want to play sold out um, arena gigs or are you happy with just how it's going right now? I mean, yeah. That's the dumbest (laughs) question I've ever asked, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes to all of it. I mean, sure. Who wouldn't want to be a superstar, right? Do I see that being very likely for me? Probably not. Um, do I love the music that I write and that I perform? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm excited. The cat calls are starting to play, you know, some like regional festivals, which is really exciting to see that take off. So that's, that's a lot of fun to see that trajectory kind of developing. Um, and I love the sound of the cat calls, by oh, the way. Thanks. I saw a couple of videos and that's one of those genres that turns me on. I love <laughs> Well, thank you. <laughs> love, love that, love that kind of old hard. <clears throat> excuse me, old, old hard rock and roll sound. Yeah, for sure, and it's it's a lot of fun, and I feel like you know I've I've invested a lot of time and into you know kind of the grind, and it feels like we're playing some pretty cool festivals this summer, and That's we haven't cool. announced them yet, but you know they'll be they'll be announced very soon. Um, and it, it's exciting to see kind of the fruits of your labor kind of finally coming up. I feel yeah. like, and you know, we're certainly not anomalies in this, but with COVID, it felt like we had, we were starting to get some really great momentum right as COVID hit. And it totally just like pulled the brakes on a lot of things for oh, everyone. You and everybody else. Yeah. I mean, everybody I've talked to on this podcast. Same thing. Those COVID years, everybody just stopped, went inside, and either practiced or reinvented themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think um, that was hard. That was really hard on artists, for sure. Um, and it kind of, that and like Black Lives Matter and everything, it, it really made you question, why am I bothering making art? Who needs to hear my voice clouding up everything? And I'm not saying that that's right. I'm just saying, I think a lot of people had that thought going on in their brains and it really did stifle creativity. It's like, well, what are we doing this for? You know what I mean? I mean, that's an interesting question. Why do we participate in this art, especially during, you know, those COVID years? And I'm, I'm going to ask you that question. Why did you, did, why did you, why do you participate in the arts? If you want to get into COVID, fine. Yeah. Well, you know, for me, it is something that I love and I don't think there's anything more powerful than like writing a song, being able to perform it and just lose yourself in that song. Because just like with painting, I'm sort of holed up in my house and I'm like in that flow state in that zone. When I'm like in the zone playing a show and just like singing, screaming, belting my heart out, whatever, (laughs) breaking strings on my guitar, not intentionally, of course, I don't believe in (laughs) guitar abuse. But um, when I'm in that state, nothing in the world feels better than that. And especially when you pair that with that reciprocal energy from the crowd, that they Mm. are just loving it. And it's like, you're in this together. Um, Nothing in the world feels better than that. And it feels like, yeah, I do have something important to say. And I think COVID really put that doubt in my mind of, do I really have anything to say? And 
well, it doesn't really feel safe to get people together right now. So we just won't. And, you know, the cat calls played a few outdoor shows during like, we'll just call it the COVID years, <laughs> but, uh, you know, quote unquote. Yeah. yeah the, the ever ongoing, but, um, I mean, for me, it's just, it's such a powerful form of self-expression and it, it just feels like the natural state of who I am and who I'm supposed to be that I just, I'm really drawn to it. It's just part of who you are. That's what you're trying to say. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you, you, uh, you describe that connection when you're performing. Number one, you're in the zone and things are going so well and it feels good, but it's that when the audience, you feel the audience's energy hit you as well. I love that. I mean, it, it doesn't happen to me much. I'm not, I'm not much of a performer anymore, but, um, but I recognize that, you know, there, there's that get past the fourth wall, get past the separation. And if you're all in the same, if you're all singing the same song and having the best time of your lives, there's nothing, nothing better. I'll be very honest with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there, there's something about like, you know, when things are going so well that you're not thinking about things going well, you're just sharing this like experience with the mm -hmm. audience. And it's, it almost like it transcends that it's, you're, you're like synced up with the audience and it just, it, it really does feel like magic. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Great way to put it. I want to ask you about your writing. You said you were dabbling as a writer and that you're a published writer. I'm interested in this too. What do you write? What's tell me a little bit more about that. I, I've always enjoyed writing. Um, so I remember when I was a little kid, I must've been like four or five years old. I didn't know how to read yet, but I knew my letters, you know, cause you practice your alphabet with your family at home and everything. I remember making a booklet out of post-it notes and I would start spelling words. The long vowels I would do in capitalized letters and short vowels I would do in lowercase letters. And I wrote a story about a, a baby duck or something. And I made it in my own little post-it note. And I had this dream of I could run away from a home and just be an author when I was like four or five years old. <laughs> So, you I didn't are know how to an spell. artist. Yeah. <laughs> Way down deep, you're an <laughs> artist. So um, that was my first experience with writing. But yeah, I've always enjoyed creative writing. And I, I was published back when I was teaching at Scales Mound. No, actually, I think in, when I was teaching in Dubuque, I got published by a flash fiction website just called Monkey Bicycle. Um, and it was my first time being published for anything, but it was really small. It was just a six word story. So there's that folklore around the story of like for sale, baby shoes never worn. Right. That, How short of, yeah. Yeah. And people, people will claim, oh, Ernest Hemingway wrote this on a bet, but there's actually no proof to that. Um, but anyhow, this monkey bicycle put out this, you know, writing contest for uh, writing a flash fiction piece. And I wrote something, actually I might've been student teaching. I don't really remember. And they published it. And I remember just being like, it's, it's a pretty small website, but I remember feeling like, wow, someone actually cares about my writing. And I've always kept, um, in college, I kept, instead of a typical journal, I would write a poem every day for a few years. And I stopped writing when I realized I was writing the same poem over and over again after a while. But um, yeah, so I've, I've always kind of kept my creative writing to be fairly private up until then. Um, and then when I was teaching in Scales Mound, again, I, I got published by a website called 100 Word Stories. So it's flash fiction in exactly 100 words. Um, and I'd been, I had been published in some like, I think some smaller literary journals for like different schools or something. I don't really remember the details, but, um, yeah, but I, I have a couple novels started that I haven't finished that I started with NaNoWriMo. Um, that's one of my projects I'd like to get back to and actually finish and publish. And I actually just participated in a collaborative art show where uh, there was a 
a creative writer paired with a visual artist and you created something, you know, you, you could have one person create something first and then hand that off to the other person. Or you could sort of simultaneously create something. And I wrote a poem called catharsis and it was very, very cathartic. Um, <laughs> and, uh, my, my visual artist partner created a really amazing piece to represent that too. So that was actually just, um, in an art show at the firehouse art gallery in Longmont, Colorado. Um, they actually just finished that up a few weeks ago, but, uh, yeah, so it's writing has always been something really fun for me. And it's been a great way for me as a language arts and high school English teacher to connect with students in a way that, I don't know, it feels more meaningful. You know, I, I, I can have fun when, and have kids have fun with Shakespeare, but there's something really unique about giving kids sort of this open canvas um, to do some creative writing. So I love sharing that with kids, but yeah, I always love doing that on my own. And, and over the years when, you know, I'm back teaching full-time in the public schools, COVID changed a lot of things for a lot of people and I'm no exception to that. But, um, also when I was doing, uh, being a musician full-time, I did some music journalism for Boulder beat and recently femme music. And I also just did some food journalism for edible, uh, edible, Denver magazine. So I, I, I still do a, a lot of writing in different capacities, but, um, yeah. And some other, some other journals that I've done some just freelance writing for, but your, your creative writing, um, it sounds like that's kind of more for yourself as opposed to a more public audience. A lot of it, but it was interesting with this, the firehouse art gallery, it, it was a poem for me, but it, in the end, it was also, I also knew it was going to be shared publicly in an art gallery and there's going to be an artist working pretty intimately with it to create a visual arts component of that. Um, but it's this idea of, you know, the whole premise of that was the idea of erasing myself and feeling like I have and continue to erase myself in different ways and sort of reconciling with that in the poem. That's an interesting concept, erasing yourself. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of came to me. There's a lot of different ways that we sort of erase parts of ourselves as we go through life. But I was recently teaching um, in a school district that it felt, it felt really vulnerable to be a teacher and there's a lot of politics going on that seem to divide the public with education. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of, you know, sowing seeds of distrust of education, distrust of teachers, and in some cases targeting individuals within right. public education. Um, and these are not new things these are sort of coming to a head of things that have been happening for a long time. I remember being in Iowa, just finishing up my year at Dubuque senior high school and marching on the Capitol in Madison, Wisconsin, when Scott Walker was governor and basically made teachers unions illegal, you know, banned right. teachers unions and I remember thinking like, wow, this is setting a really dangerous precedent and those things have continued and that's kind of what we're dealing with right now. So right. I guess in sort of coping with the stress of that and what I was feeling directly where I was teaching this past year, uh, this poem came out of how I tried to sort of erase myself and sort of just exist as this sort of anonymous teacher in this school district out of fear that I would be targeted. Wow. I mean, that's, that, it's a powerful sentiment. My wife is also a public school teacher. So, um, and a very conservative district. So she faces a lot of the same, I don't know if problems is the right word, but a lot of the same concerns, you know, money's tight and the public doesn't understand what the teachers do and fighting for qualified people to do 
to spread the work properly, not just, you know, there's a million, there's a million things going on. Absolutely. And, um, but that, but, but again, that concept of erasing yourself. So it almost sounds like it came out of a numbing agent. You know, you kind of want to numb yourself from, oh, it shouldn't be this hard kind of feeling. I don't know. For sure. That's what I'm, that may, that's what I'm getting out of it, but, um, but I think the fact that I'm thinking in those terms and feeling these things is a testament to your writing. And I haven't even read the thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's not just that. I think that's what really brought that to my consciousness was that was sort of a, I wouldn't even say a defense mechanism. I would say that would be a survival mechanism for where I was. Um, oh. But it did bring up different memories of, different times in my life when I felt like I had to erase parts of myself or that I did that as sort of an instinctual thing, whether that's dealing with, you know, the stress of something else in life or, you know, feeling a sense of depression or anything. Right. So is your writing, um, and, and, or your music, uh, are they kind of a release valve of sorts? Yeah, I think, I see writing as, I, I don't know, I think humans are innately creative. I and agree. I think, you know, there's this adage of like everyone's born an artist, right? And it's a matter of whether or not you listen to that and how you cultivate that. And for me, the arts is a release because I think we all do have things to say and things to share. And I think it can manifest differently. I mean, just like you asked me before about my style and, you know, different instruments evoke different ideas and, you know, mm -hmm. stylistic representations of music for me. Uh, I think different mediums of creative work also helps release and manifest different types of things. Um, and for me, like, for example, that, that poem that I shared, Catharsis, um, it was super cathartic. And it was, it was almost a way for me to process things for myself. But it also felt like something really powerful to share with other people. Because when you share the hard things with other people, you know, that's why I love Sylvia Plath. Because you can see yourself in their reflection. And you can feel like, wow, I'm not alone in this because you felt this too. And I think that's really powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, I, and suddenly that goes back to that, trying to describe the connection between you and your audience. You know, even in that small scale, it's equally powerful as a large scale concert rocking out. You know, does that make sense? It, yeah, it totally can make sense. Yeah. You know, and every show is a little bit different. Um, one of my friends, he's an amazing keys player in the Denver area. Um, his name is Adam Bodine. And he he's played a couple shows with me as, um, as a keys player. And I told him, I was like, I love that you just rock out to every show that I've ever seen you at. Because I, I also saw him, <laughs> you know, hired for, for other bands and regardless of what was going on on stage, he was just rocking out and looked like he was having a blast. And he looked at me, he's like, yeah, I just, I play every show. Like it's like, it could be my last show and I just want to have a blast doing it. And I was like, wow, like that's, it's so easy to be like, oh, this is a small show. I'll just put in this kind of energy or, oh, this is a really big deal show. I'm really going to try really hard for this one. And his philosophy is like, no, just give it all you've got for every single show no matter where it is or who it's with. And I think that's hard to do, you know, when we have these expectations as artists of, you know, what is considered a really, a really big show versus a not big show. But I think that's a great philosophy to, to move forward with. Oh yeah. I, 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 I would wholeheartedly agree. And, uh, and why wouldn't you honestly, you know, if you're going to get up there and bear your soul and, communicate and pour your art out onto the floor and why wouldn't you give it your all yeah you know 
that makes perfect sense. Okay, now I want to ask you about <laughs> do my James Lipton um, end of the interview kind of questions. First question: What about your art turns you on? I think any kind of true self-expression is really empowering. And, you know, what I was saying before is like being able to get into that flow state. And especially when you're sharing that with an audience and it just feels like you're having this synchronous moment together. It's just the most powerful feeling in the world. I will not argue that. Um, anything about your art turn you off? Um, I think it's easy to, to let yourself feel like you're getting blocked. Um, one of the most powerful books that I've come across or resources in general is a book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. I know it's a staple with a lot of... Yes, I know this book. Yeah, yes. yeah. And even if you don't finish the 12 weeks, which I've started that book several times, I finished it once. <laughs> <laughs> I've never fit. I just filtered through it, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, the whole nature of, you know, writer's block or, you know, some sort of creative block, I feel like that book has done so much to sort of break down misconceptions about creative blocks and how we, we are actually self-sabotaging ourselves. And I think that my biggest struggle is, you know, by, by working with Julia Cameron's books is recognizing how much I self-sabotage myself. And really, Oh yeah, we all, we all do in some capacity, but when you realize what you're doing to yourself, you're like, okay, why am I doing this? I want to be successful. Why am I doing this? And it, you know, it comes from a place of fear. And That's inter yeah. Yeah. What I love about that book is she really digs deep. I mean, when you do the 12 week program, it is really powerful. I do recommend doing that with a book club. <laughs> so you have some <laughs> sense of accountability. Um, I actually did that as a virtual book club during COVID with, uh, I started an organization years ago when I first moved to Boulder. I'm in Fort Collins now, but um, I started an organization called the Coalition of Women Songwriters because I just wanted to meet other women in the music scene. Um, but yeah, I did a virtual book club with some of the folks from the Coalition of Women Songwriters and actually working through the 12 weeks was really awesome. Interesting. And that's a book that I could do every year and, Every year, I would get something new and different out of it. I I, I've, um, I sound surprised be, uh, because about the self sabotage because you come across as such a confident, intelligent. There's a certain glow and power about you. I would never have suspected. You know, maybe you just hide it very well. I don't know, but <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, it, it seems surprising. But I, I think you're right that we all have our moments of sabotage, self-sabotage. But I, th I think it's, um, I think it's part of being a strong artist that you know what those are. Yeah, so, for sure. And, you know, recognizing yeah. that just like anything, you know, recognizing the behaviors to do that are very natural. And yeah. the true test is, can you recognize the behavior when it comes up and do something about it? Right. And um, I've been getting better about doing something about that, <laughs> but not always, you know, we're human. No, uh, but kudos to you. Cause, um, I read a book called the power of now by Eckhart Tolle. I don't know if you know about it. It's a, uh, it's not really a religious book, but it's, it was, it has a lot of the same kind of notions in the sense that, oh yeah, I get into these, um, uh, behavioral patterns and, teaches you to recognize them and get out of them and everybody's got them. But yeah, I think whatever works. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I actually read part of that. Um, one of my musician friends had a copy of that. He'd let me borrow. So I, I started reading. It. I never finished that one, but it's, it's a bit thick and wordy, but if you can get through it, it it's a lot of the same kind of stuff. It at least sounds like it. So yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 
What other art form that you haven't tried that you think you would like to? Hmm. Well, I've kind of dabbled in a lot of things. Um, I mean, I'm always down to try, you know, different types of, of art and creativity. I don't know. I feel like I've done so much. Um, anything you've like just seen and say, Oh, that might be cool someday. I mean, I think aerial dance looks really cool, but I'm like, I don't know if I have the coordination for that. <laughs> I have aerial, some friends. Like the aerial uh, rings and silks. and Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I have the coordination for that, but it looks really fun. I don't, I don't see myself getting super deep into that, but I just think what those dancers do is absolutely incredible. And, um, I was actually really fortunate to collaborate with a local aerial dance, um, group for the catcalls, uh, show at the Aggie theater. Um, again, right before COVID and, uh, It was so cool to see. I love doing sort of interdisciplinary arts projects. And so I think actually the thing that I would like to do is like legit, write Like a musical or like a rock opera. I started doing that for like Boulder arts week. I did like a shorter piece where we kind of worked some things together and I had a, an interpretive dancer, but I'd love to actually do like a rock opera. I think that would be super cool. That would be fantastic. Yeah. I think I'd love to see that. And of course, like finishing all the half projects that I have, like I said, I have like, <laughs> like two or three novels that are like pretty well started. One of them's like half done. Um, I have half I, of an orchestral arrangement done that is one of my I, original folk songs for like a middle school orchestra <laughs> and all kinds of things. I think that's just one of the hallmarks of being an artist <laughs> is that somewhere you've got a pile of projects that aren't finished. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's hilarious is my mother is very creative, but in very different ways. So her house is filled with like a ton of like half crocheted and, you know, knitted scarves and blankets and all kinds. Like she's like a craftswoman. Right. Um, I remember growing up and her like sewing things and stuff like that. But it, you know, all of her, her sewing and, you know, stuff like that stuff. She's got boxes and boxes of stuff and yarn and this and that collecting this. And she's got all kinds of like kitchen gadgets and stuff like this. And I remember growing up and being like, Oh my God, I'm never going to do that. But here I am. And it just looks different because instead of being like a crazy kitchen gadget person or crazy, like knitter crochet or whatever she does, like instead of all of that stuff. And she has a flower shop too. I've got all kinds of musical instruments and all kinds of paints right. and canvases and stuff. So I, yeah, you can see behind me, my collection of trash from unfinished puppet projects and <laughs> all sorts of, you know, yeah, I got a box of stuff. Yeah. I think that's funny, but I yeah. think that's a definite hallmark of being a true artist is that some of the ideas just never make it to fruition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's always, there's always something to do. Right. Right. <laughs> we shouldn't be bored. We shouldn't have that writer's block. Uh, go finish the other thing. Anyway, uh, is there an art form that you think that you would never want to try? I don't think so. I would, I would pretty much try any art form at least once. And Even find the aerial something. dancing. Yeah, I would, I would try it. Um, with proper training. <laughs> so I wouldn't hurt myself. Granted. Yeah. But you're up for anything. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take that out of context. But <laughs> no, no, no. Art nerd. We'll stick yeah. to that. Uh, however, I, um, I, I, I suddenly want to see you on the silks come down with your guitar and start a show. So. Oh my God. <laughs> that sounds dangerous with a guitar. Yeah. Well, you know, okay. Maybe not the guitar, but. Come down and the, the guitar's on the ground and I land on it. Yeah. And pick it up. Okay. Yeah. I'll okay. consider that. Okay. That's me as a director talking. So this is. <laughs> that could be the beginning of the rock opera. <gasps> oh, totally. Oh, we've just created something. <laughs> just let me know when you want to keep working on it. I'm fine with it. Um, <laughs> Last question. Where can we see and or hear some of your artwork? Yeah. So 
My, again, my name is Riley Ann, A-N-N. So my website is RileyAnnSound.com. And you can also check out The Cat Calls at TheCatCallsBand.com. And uh, both uh, Riley Ann, musician, artist, writer, uh, The Cat Calls, and Back to the Mountain all have Facebook pages and Instagram pages that uh, you can you can like and follow if you so desire. And uh, yeah, hopefully I'll have some more projects finishing at some point that you can find hopefully in the future some novels and orchestra pieces and all kinds of stuff and maybe a rock opera <laughs> maybe a rock opera that would oh that excites me to no end um what about the the project you had talked about earlier about where the musician handed it off to the writer handed it off to the visual you said that's online those are still online that we can see those yeah that's called the make more everything challenge and i can send you the link cuz i don't know that off the top of my head but that was the first one in 2020 was put together by Maxwell Treader and the second one he did that in conjunction with i believe uh it was i don't know if it was directly with the Horsetooth International Film Festival or um, it, it was a local organization that deals with filmmaking in Fort Collins, but that was at the Lyric, um, which is a local uh, independent movie theater that we okay. have here in Fort Collins. So I can send you the links for that. Yeah, please do, because uh, your work is in there as well. Yes. Awesome. Riley, Ann, I can't thank you enough for uh, putting up with me this morning and having, <laughs> a, having this conversation. It's really, uh, you're an amazing artist. Thank you. Thank you very much. And yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm, I'm happy to happy to know you. And thank you again for uh, a fantastic conversation. Uh, Thought-provoking, which is what I love. Yeah. No, thank you. I, I'm really honored to be a guest. And it was great to have this conversation with you, too. And likewise to everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, maybe we can put our names on a rock opera someday in yes. the future. Yes, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> okay, okay. Thanks for hanging around and geeking out with us. If you enjoyed the show, hit the like and subscribe buttons. And more importantly, join the conversation and leave us a message or comment. We'd love to hear about your nerdy art. Thanks again, and join us next week for more Art Nerds. 